thankful that he knows your name. Amen. I'm so thankful today that we have a good, good father this morning. Welcome to all of you. So good to be in the house of the Lord on this beautiful day the Lord has blessed us with. I do pray that you have had a blessed week in the Lord. And as we start a brand new week together, I am just uh, excited to be able to begin this week with all of you. No place I'd rather be this morning uh, than in the presence of the Lord and in the house of the Lord with his people. Amen. Those of you going to class, feel free to do so at this time. And we're just going to jump into the word this morning. I won't keep you long this morning. We'll just keep you till we're done. How's that? And uh, But those in the sanctuary, as they are exiting the sanctuary this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I pray that you do this morning. Uh, we're going to go through Scripture together. Uh, but we're going to begin in Genesis chapter number 18. Genesis chapter number 18. Uh, we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, Anybody ready for the word today? All right. I am going to do my best to deliver to you what God has been really just rolling in my spirit uh, for the last several days. And uh, we had the privilege to take just a few days away and uh, just kind of rest and spend some time with some wonderful friends and, and uh, able to just enjoy uh, nature a little bit. Some would say they enjoyed it. Others would say not so much. But I found myself walking down the side of a mountain uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, just admiring the beauty uh, amongst the laughter and the things of that nature. I ended up putting my little earbuds in and just had a little bit of Jesus time on the mile back and just uh, found myself worshiping just thanking him for the privilege uh, to be able to call this great land home. So today I'm going to talk to us about the saving of a nation. This is not a political message. This is a message that I believe you and I must hear and understand. And I want to make this statement at the very beginning. I do not believe that God is done with our nation. But I do believe that somebody's got to stand up and fight for her. We wonder if God can still redeem our society and bring about a nation that is characterized by righteousness. Some would say that's impossible today. But I want to ask you today, is anything too hard for God? There's nothing too hard for Him. I believe that the Lord is moving and moving in ways that we don't even understand, to be honest. I believe that there is much exposing that is still going to take place and I still believe that there is unexpected movement in the spiritual realm that is going to drastically change things in the earthly realm where men will shake their heads and say how did this come about 
And those of us in the church will be able to say that God is. Not God was, or that God will be, but that God is still God. But I have to ask the question this morning, where are the righteous? This may come across a little bit as a Father's Day message, but please don't get hung up this morning if you hear me referencing men a little more than normal today, okay? But fathers, let me say to you, please have ears to hear. Grandfathers, please have ears to hear. But we know that it isn't just the responsibility of men, but it is the responsibility of men and women today. We are a nation that desperately needs fathers and mothers, okay? And you and I today are the catalyst that God uses to touch the earth, and that is the church. God does not want to keep anything from you. Please understand that. The Holy Ghost is here to empower us and equip us to be witnesses, but also he comes to reveal the plans of the Father. He does not speak of himself, but he speaks of that which he hears of the Father concerning that which has been, that which is, as well as that is to come. That is the nature of God, to not hide anything from his children. How do you know this to be true? If you read the whole book of Genesis, but especially chapter number 18, uh, the first part of this chapter, you will find that Abraham is sitting in the door of his tent and three angelic visitors come and approach him. One of them being the angel of the Lord. And we find that the statement is given to him concerning him and Sarah and the birth of Isaac and you know that story, she's laughing and those types of things. And she says, how is it that this is going to take place? But after that conversation takes place, you find then in verse number 17, the Lord said, notice, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse 20. And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? But notice, he then goes and says, pre-adventure, verse 24, there be 50 righteous within the city, will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, Within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Notice he said, all the place. Now I could read further, but you know the story. For the sake of time, I will not. But Abraham says, pre-adventure a few more times and says, what about if you only find 45? What if you find 40? Lord, don't be angry, but if you find 30. 
pre-adventure, Lord, what if you find 20 righteous? Then he says, Lord, please hear me and please don't be angry at me, but what if you find 10 righteous? The Lord said, "I I will not destroy, but I will spare all the place of Sodom if I can find 10. Now, I could talk a lot about this story this morning. But I want to just share that with you to get to where I really want to be this morning in just a few moments. Is because when I look at the story, first of all, I see that God does not want to disclose anything from those that he loves. But he wants them to know what he's doing. But also find that Abraham was in such fellowship with him that he was able to have this type of conversation with God himself saying but Lord what if what if you find this or what if you see this and what if you find this was an open communication that was present notice this morning we are presently right now witnessing the destruction of our nation because we are a nation without fathers I have to ask this morning where is the lineage of Abraham why are we not pleading with our father for mercy for our land I look around our nation and I have to ask the question this morning where is the sackcloth and ashes let me say it this way where is the all-night prayer meeting Where is the travail between the porch and the altar? We can complain about everything that we see. We can talk amongst ourselves about how broken a system it is, but yet we do not cry out on behalf of the innocent. Paul understood the severity of the lack of fathers. He writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians Verse number 4, 14 through 15, and he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. But he did not stop there. If you go to chapter 10, Read verse 1 through 5, you would find, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown. In the wilderness, hear me, is he well pleased with us as fathers this morning? Is he well pleased with us as mothers this morning? Excuse me. Paul goes on to write to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12, the following. He says, so beneficially desirous of you, he says, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you was dear unto us. I want to ask you this morning, as those beyond the walls of this building, 
are they dear to you? Do they, does it keep you up at night knowing that thousands upon thousands step into eternity every day lost without God? Does it disturb us today that we see darkness seemingly prevailing in an accelerated manner in this nation, but yet we think that going to the house of God one more Sunday is going to be the recipe for change. God, help us this morning. The change and the charge that is needed is not for the weak of heart this morning, but the change that is needed in our country cannot be birthed until we have men and women that's willing to become fathers and mothers, not just to their own children, but to a lost and dying generation. You could talk to those that's my age and beyond, especially if the siblings can relate to this more in my family. My mother and father gave their life to the church, and in doing so, they gave their life to other people's children. And my mother, she didn't have a small household, but 13 of us, and we were all angels, right, all the time. Didn't require much. But the fact is that on Sunday afternoon, it wasn't just her children that would go home with her, but it was all of the kids that was in the choir would end up at our house. And it was always serving others because the call and the commission was not just to be a mother to her own, but it was to be a spiritual mother to all that she encountered. May I impose and get real close? When was the last time you took children home with you? You see, today we have a generation that has no moral compass due to the absence of fathers and mothers. Confusion is now overpowering a generation, and those who are most confused have been given positions of authority, and we still see no outrage from those who know the truth. We still sit silent. We still sing a song. We still listen to a message, and we still talk about the future, but we ignore the present. While we sit idle this morning, evil is destroying our children. While we sit idle this morning, a nation is burning. While we sit idle this morning, prayer seems to be an afterthought and assembling together is ignored and a willingness to lead is all but absent from most that make a proclamation of faith when the last thing that he commanded us was to go into all the world but yet we refused to go across town I knew you wouldn't shout me down this morning I sure would love to preach something different today but this is not an exaggeration please hear this preacher this morning if we do not stand up now we will lose our nation Your children, your grandchildren, they will continue to be overwhelmed with evil and demonic influence. And the house of God will be boarded up, 
Steeples will be taken down and half moons will be raised in their place. All it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. I'm not talking about conspiracies this morning. I'm not talking about radical hatred agendas. But I'm talking about where is the men, where is the women that will lead a generation to the only place that can experience salvation, healing, deliverance, and wholeness. Where is the voice today? I'm going to give you some steps from God's word that will allow us to experience a divine reversal in this moment of time. I want to give them to you this morning. But notice with me, before I go any further, let me say this. I understand the thought process and the struggle that all of us deals with. I'm included in it. How can I make a change? I'm just me. But in the year 1775, there began to be a great resistance to what was taking place in the world at that time. Those that were subjects of Britain began to understand that they could not stay silent any longer, which led to the great day in 1776. There are some men that we often refer to now as we look at history, and we refer to them as our founding fathers. Let me say to you this morning that without them, there would have not been no United States of America. These men was a group of men that united 13 desperate colonies. They fought for independence and they penned a series of influential governing documents that steer and has steered our country up to this present day. But let me tell you, they are trying to destroy those documents in an accelerated manner. All of the founding fathers, including the first four United States presidents, at one point considered themselves British subjects, but they revolted against this restrictive rule of King George III and outlining their grievance in a document that we call the Declaration of Independence. It's a powerful call for freedom and equality. But notice, uh, they won a stunning military victory over what was there in the, uh, of, of that time, the world's superpower. It was something that could not even be fathomable to think that it was able to be accomplished. But these men decided to stand and say, you know what, we will be fathers. We will be leaders. We will be protectors. We will be men that no longer sit on the sideline. And these founders proved that even later on in peacetime that they realized things had to be changed. And therefore, we find that they assembled to set together again and they hammered out what we now call the United States Constitution. And they overcame major areas of disagreement. Uh, and they also then began to pin the Bill of Rights, which is described. Uh, for you and I today and how many knows this morning that these men was just ordinary men I can give you a few of them George Washington who has 
the title of the father of his country by some. He was merely just a military man, uh, but then decided to be a farmer. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, uh, he was a poor, uh, illegitimate orphan uh, that then as a teenager immigrated from the British West Indies uh, to New York City. Uh, but he decided uh, there was a cause worth fighting for. Uh, you could also talk about Benjamin Franklin. Uh, yes, he was a skilled author, printer, scientist, inventor, as well as a diplomat despite only having a formal education that stopped at the age of 10. Uh, but he said, even in the midst of my inabilities, uh, I am able to do something. Uh, John Adams, uh, even though he was just a lawyer, we'll still love the lawyer, uh, but he was simply a lawyer in Massachusetts and he realized I can't just do what I've always done. Uh, Samuel Adams, uh, even though he was known as the second cousin of John Adams, uh, he simply, even though he was in politics, uh, he said things cannot stay uh, as they are. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he was a Virginian lawyer and a politician, uh, but he was given a great task uh, and he simply embraced it and said, I will uh, do something beyond the norm. Uh, James Madison, uh, just a boy that grew up on a Virginia plantation, uh, but when the call came, he stood and said, uh, I cannot be silent any longer. Uh, John Jay, maybe not so as popular as the others I mentioned, uh, but he said, uh, after realizing what was taking place, uh, he said, I cannot remain silent any longer. Uh, why do I share that with you this morning? Uh, it's because, can I tell you today, uh, our silence uh, is giving evil uh, free passage. Uh, your children uh, are being exposed uh, continually, uh, daily, uh, hour upon hour uh, and can I tell you it's accelerated uh, in the last six months on a level uh, that you cannot explain uh, can I tell you you cannot turn on a television uh, without seeing two women or two men uh, kissing and doing vile things uh, every commercial now uh, is even I'm not talking about at midnight my friend uh, but I'm talking about in the middle of Mickey Mouse uh, uh, we find uh, that there is derogatory uh, infiltration uh, where they're trying to program a generation uh, that right is wrong and that wrong is right uh, and we the church sit silent. Uh, we don't want to train. Uh, we don't want to teach. Uh, we let the world do that uh, but then we'd wonder why uh, they have no passion uh, no desire uh, to lift their hands in the presence of God uh, but can I tell you this morning uh, there has got to be a change I'm not ready to sit down and quit. I'm not ready to throw in the towel, but I'm here to tell you that it's time to put on the whole armor of God and to withstand in this evil day. It is not for somebody that's going to come by and preach a message. It's not for a prophet to make a proclamation, but it is time for a man and a woman that has got, has the blood bought, blood of Jesus Christ infused in their veins to stand uh, and begin to stand in the face of evil uh, and say uh, I will not remain silent uh, listen uh, I know this uh, the Lord is faithful and true to his word uh, Abraham uh, I will not destroy Sodom 
come, if there's 50, if there's 45, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, I'm here to tell you, I know there's a whole lot more than 10. I know there's a whole lot more than 30. I know there's a whole lot more than 50. But the problem this morning is they are silent. They are not out where they're visible. And the Lord is stepping down in this nation right now. He has heard and he has saw the evil. And he's saying, I'm come down to walk through right now just to see how bad it is. But can I tell you, in the midst of him being present, if he would begin to see you and I, begin to stand and combat the evil and stand in faith without wavering, I believe that that which is going to bring judgment can begin to be reversed and we can begin to experience a wind of revival. But somebody's got to stand and face this adversary and tell them, you're not taking my children. You're not taking my neighbor's children. You're not taking my city. You're not taking my state. And you're not taking my nation. But somebody going to have to restore a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 29. Let me give you these very quickly. Jeremiah 29, you have to understand many people read these verses 11 through 14 and they read it on a personal note and that's fine. But you got to understand the context of this. This passage of scripture is concerning a nation. They've been in Babylonian captivity. But notice he's talking to Israel. And he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Let me say to you this morning, God knows the thoughts that he has towards the United States of America. Saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Why can I say that this morning concerning this nation? It's because we were birthed for a twofold process. Number one, we was birthed so that in the 40s, when Israel came back and declared itself as a nation, that we would become her friend. No other nation was going to do that. But at midnight, when the proclamation was given, the President of the United States simply said that we acknowledge her as a nation. But also, we was created simply for not to be the breadbasket of the world naturally, but also to be the sending and driving force of sending the message of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Thoughts that he has towards her is thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Notice what he says. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with what? All of your heart. And I will be found of you, says the Lord. Get this. And I, who? He will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. 
what he was simply selling Israel is this. If you will diligently seek after me, I'm going to pull you from all places of the earth that you've been dispelled to. And I will bring you back to the place that I care allowed you to be carried away from. Why is that important? Most of the founders of our nation were of the Protestant faith. Secular world doesn't want to acknowledge this, but there is much biblical foundation upon what this nation was found upon. And here's what brings me hope. As the Lord says, as you begin to diligently seek me, you begin to birth this in my spirit, as the church begins to diligently seek me and find me, I will hear and I will take them back to the place that I have let them be scattered from. That means this, our best days is not back here, but our best days are ahead. If we, the church, will begin to experience fathers and mothers rising up out of them. Listen, God's not going to take us to a place of disaster, but he will take us back to a place where we have been scattered from. Where was we? We was a nation upon biblical fundamental principles of the faith. He also tells Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, uh, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. See, today, right now, in order for there to be something changed, we, the church, must once again look and restore and renew those things that has been broken off. Our personal relationship with Christ has got to be first and foremost in our lives. You say, but that's concerning Israel What about you and I today? Most of you probably can quote this passage of Scripture, Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But let me remind you this morning of John 15 and 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. The world would tell you it's too late, it's too dark, it's too far gone. Even those in the church world will tell you, it's all over. You're just wasting your time, preacher. Nobody going to get it. Listen. He tells me that if I abide in him and he abides in me, that I will have much fruit. Listen, I'm not going to accept the fact that nobody's going to get saved in 2021. I'm not going to buy into the lie that nobody's going to get healed, nobody's going to get delivered, nobody's going to get set free. I'm here to tell you I'm getting ready to step into the more. Don't, don't, don't buy into the thing that the enemy says, your family's not going to save God, never going to serve the Lord. You need to begin to resist the devil and say, you know what? I'm in him and he's in me. And he says there's much fruit, not only one or two, but my whole family going to get saved this year. Now that's radical faith, my friend. It may be radical faith, but it's biblical faith. You and I today need to understand the importance of a personal relationship with Christ. The second thing that I would tell you, especially men of God, please hear me. You must begin to have a desire to walk with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, it's quoted often. It says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. Men, please hear me. Women, please hear me. You are the temple of the living God. You are to be a separated people. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm not talking about religion. But notice he says this. He said, God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And he says, therefore, touch not the unclean thing. He's saying, just live a separated life. Let me be the one that fills you and, 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 and abide with you because I'm the one that you need to be able to touch a generation. Let me go, and I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up in just a few moments. We also find that we have to make sure we understand the importance of this hour. It is not enough for us to say that we're in fellowship with him. 1 John 1, 6 through 7 tells us if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, don't shoot the messenger this morning. It says we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Let me... Stay here just for a moment. We today cannot walk in darkness and walk in light at the same time. And we cannot expect a generation to walk in the light if they see us walking in darkness. When they see your life, does it just reflect the life of everybody else they know? Or when they see your life, I'm not talking about outward appearances that our minds always go to, but I'm talking about our attitudes, our relationships, our behaviors. When they, men of God, when they see you, do they see you treat your wife differently than how the guy in the world's treating his wife? I believe somewhere in Scripture it says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. He loved the church so much he died for it. Men, are you letting things die so that your wife can flourish and blossom? Come back next Sunday, it'll be better. Hear me. Don't expect 15-year-old Johnny to respect his little girlfriend and treat her like she needs to be treated if you're not modeling that before him. Just because you said, I do, doesn't mean you don't have to open the door for your wife anymore. Just because you said, I do, doesn't mean you have to stop dating her. Doesn't mean you have to stop affirming her. Doesn't mean that you no longer have to take her flowers and gifts and love her. I'm trying to help you out, ladies, and I ain't got one amen. The man is like he should have quit preaching five minutes ago. But hear me. Hear me. What, is, what are you teaching your sons? What are you teaching your daughters? 
Listen, men of God. They see you come in slam, banging, mad, this and that. They're going to think that's normal. And they're going to pick a guy that acts that way. But maybe he'll go a little further. Maybe he'll beat on them a little bit. Let me tell you something. That's not of God. You got to set the standard. But right now there is no standard. Because we're silent. Because we go to church with strangers. We don't do life. We don't encourage. We don't affirm. We're not careful. Hear me. We must always express love towards one another, but especially our children. Men of God, hear me. We need to take the example of our Heavenly Father. When Jesus was on earth, do you know that God affirmed him? Even though God was sitting on the throne and Jesus was walking in the form of a natural man, God affirmed him. When he come up out of the water in Matthew chapter 3, 16 through 17, and the he says, and as he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Notice, all of, a, all of a sudden, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to get real close to you this morning. Men of God, when was the last time you told your son or your daughter you was well pleased? When was the last time you told your grandchildren you was well pleased? There has to be the return of the five love, love languages back to the Christian home. Let me give them to you very quickly. I don't have time to preach them this morning or teach them. Gifts, time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and touch. Those five things has got to be present in your life and in your home. I don't care how big and burly you are, men. It doesn't matter. You and I today have a great responsibility. We got to give gifts. We got to spend time. We got to offer words of affirmation. We have to have acts of service. And we have to be willing to touch. Is this really, really important? I'll show you how important it is. Can I give you a story real quickly? Larry Stockstill wrote a tremendous book, but in the middle of his book, he writes he is friends with a former NFL football player. The guy is six foot six, big, burly, macho man. From high school, through college, through all of his professional career, he would simply ask his father, Come and watch me play. Come and watch me play would leave tickets at the gate. Tickets would never be picked up. But one day in his professional NFL career, tickets was picked up and his father was sitting in the stands. It made such an impact on this boy, even when he was an adult on the professional level, that he sacked a quarterback had just tremendous numbers off the chart of that game. So many things that he did in that game. And after the game is over, 
he walks to his father, and his father's standing there and says this, why did you let that little guy get around you? Destroyed him. For years, for years he was in bondage because of the phrase of his father. The very thing that he had longed to experience turned into great devastation. And it wasn't until he experienced the love of a heavenly father that there was healing. I can tell you another story of a minister, pastors 5,000 people today, a little more. When he was 10 years old, his father and his mother was fighting, and he says, I'm leaving. The little boy didn't know what was going on, so at 10 years old, he took a piece of paper and said, Daddy, don't leave me. I love you, and put it on the steering wheel of the car. In a fit of rage, the man walks out, gets into his car, sees the note. He looks at it. He takes it, and he wads it up and throws it, and it hits the boy in his chest. Years and more years and more years go by. Never resolved until late in life because a father failed to act like a father. This morning, we have a generation that's in complete darkness, inspiring out of control. And we have wonderful fathers and mothers, but they're just sitting here on Sunday. And they're absent out there Monday through Saturday. God forgive us this morning. Not only must we express love to a generation, and I'm bringing this to an end. Give me two more. We must exhort this generation. To exhort essentially means to urge or to advise or to caution earnestly. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearketh unto counsel is wise. It's Proverbs 12 and 15. But if you read verse number 18, it says, The tongue of the wise is health. You and I have been given wisdom. We've been given knowledge through Jesus Christ our Lord. We continue to grow in it, develop in it. But you have to understand the wisdom that you have of Christ and of his word, if you will speak it out, it is health to those that's around you and that God has entrusted with you. Do you want them to be healthy today? This generation isn't healthy because they've not been spoken to. Notice, we must not only teach, but we must train our children. How many of your children... How many of your grandchildren know this verse? Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, 
and life. How many of your children know that? I challenge you, when you walk out of this room today, ask your children, your grandchildren, what does Proverbs 22, 4 say? If I was a betting man, I'd, I'd take the odds. I'd bet every one of you. I'd bet everything I have. They probably can't quote it. Probably don't know what's there. But how many of you would like to see your children walk with riches? How many of you would like for them to walk with honor? How many of you would like for them to walk with life? Okay. But how many's taught them that it is by humility and the fear of the Lord that those things are obtainable? We have to train our children. Please hear me. Lastly, we must give them a charge. We have a generation without purpose and without direction. I had an amazing conversation with a couple of young people just a few days ago. I won't expose their identity, but I will expose part of the conversation that I had with them. This ideal that all this generation, they just don't want to do anything. I'm going to tell you something. That's the biggest thing of lies that you've ever heard. Because I began to talk to these, and I began to put some challenges before them, some hypotheticals. What if I ask you to do this? Or what if I ask you to go here? What if God really began to deal with your heart in this manner? I began to see their eyeballs begin to get bigger, and I began to see a light began to burn and the response that I got was simply this I would I, I could see myself doing that but nobody else sees them doing that because we have bought into the lies of the enemy that they're broken and they're this and that they're that notice Moses dies everybody's in weeping everybody's in mourning what are we going to do? But then the Lord comes in Joshua chapter 1. And he simply says these words to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Verse 6 says, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7 says, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe and do according to all the law. Turn not from it to the right or to the left that thou mayest prosper wherever you go. It says, don't let it depart out of your mouth, but meditate upon it day and night. And it says, then you'll be prosperous and you'll have good success. But he gave him a charge. He said, listen, you, you can't just sit here, but this is what's expected of you. And this is the plan and this is the way to accomplish it. And then he released him to do it. How many's given their children? How many of this generation are we giving a charge to? And then releasing them to do it. Verse 9 of that chapter, he says, Have not I commanded thee? Has not the Lord commanded you and I as they come to the piano this morning? Has he not commanded you and I to be the hands and feet? Has he not commanded you and I to be fathers and mothers? Has he not commanded us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel? 
while little pistol still in the womb. Yeah, that is his name, whether they want to admit it or not. A little pistol still in the room. In the womb. In the room. In the womb. He's in the room with us. It's not, and Brother Chris, if I can even share this, he mentioned it publicly in our meeting, in our class last Sunday evening. He said the Lord corrected him while he was praying for his grandson. He was saying, he was praying over him, which I'm very thankful and appreciative of. Brother Chris has been a dear friend for a lot of years, and I, I, I value that friendship, but who would have thought on a t-ball field all these years later we'd be sharing a grandkid together too. Lord, how mercy. Life is just crazy. But he said, the Lord said, as he was praying, Lord, I want you to make my, I want you to make pistol, a mighty man of God. The Lord stopped him and said, no, not make him, he already is. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. There's some mighty men and women of God that has not yet come to the house of God. They've not yet preached a message. They've not yet told a class. They've not yet traveled to a, a missionary field. But God sees them as he created them to be. But here's where it gets weighty this morning. The responsibility in developing them and helping develop them into what God desires them to be rests with you and I in this room. But what are we doing to see that happen? I didn't forget where I started this morning. I'm still talking about the saving of a nation. The airways across this nation are filled with demonic forces. And the only thing that can stop it is for a father and a mother to stand up and say, that's enough. Not in my house, not in my community, not with my children, not in my state. Not in my nation. It has been said in meetings with some of the highest authorities of the world, talking about domestic terrorism and things of that nature. Who could be the most powerful threat? What could bring more damage to us than anyone or anything? They said, well, the church would definitely be at the top of the list, but we don't have to worry about it too much because they can't stay unified long enough to do anything. What a testimony against us. But I want to take that testimony and turn it around and say, you know what, it's time for the people of God to unify in such a manner that we will rise up and we will push evil back and we will once again 
earnestly, diligently call out to the Lord and we will be brought back to our biblical place that the enemy scattered us from. Here's what I want to say to you today. An election in 2022 will not fix us. Get that out of your mind. An election in 2024 will not fix us. Get that out of your mind. Here's what will fix us. Can I have some audience participation in just, for just a moment? I'm going to start right back here. I'm going to show you naturally what will fix us if we will not just do this in the natural, but more importantly, we'll do this in the spirit. Dan, would you stand up? Chris, would you stand up, please? Brother Warren, would you stand up? Brother Bob, would you stand up? Brother Wade, would you stand up? Tim Jr., would you stand up? Brother Ken, would you stand up? Let's just do this. All of the men in this room, would you stand up, please? This is what will save a nation. Not about political correctness. Not about anything other than this. If you will spiritually stand up. I'll show you how you, you say, I don't know how to stand up, preacher. I, I, I want to do something. How do I stand up? I'll show you how you stand up. I'm going to use you. You're my son. Come on. Take my hand. You just take, your, take the hand of your kid. I don't care how old they are. This is where it begins. You take the hand of your children, your son, your daughter, your grandkid, and you bring them and lead them back to this place. Men of God, you hear me. This nation has purpose. God has a plan for. And the enemy's doing everything he can to destroy it in this moment because if we don't stand up now, our future is Sodom and Gomorrah will be in ashes but if we stand up now as men of God and begin to lead our wives to a place of prayer, lead our children to a place of prayer and begin to love the fatherless uh, and begin to help the broken uh, beyond the walls of this building, uh, I'm here to tell you uh, that it's not just a cloud the size of a man's hand that I see, uh, but there is a sound of a rushing mighty wind uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, that will be released upon a nation uh, but it begins when you stand up. Don't tell me you're concerned if you're going to go home tonight, men, and spend three hours in front of your television, but you're too tired to pick up a Bible. You're too tired to pray. You're too tired to affirm your children. You're too tired to touch them and tell them you can be a mighty man of God. I'm not trying to make enemies this morning, but I'm trying to take us from the darkness uh, and put us in a place where God, as he's moving, says, uh, I see the righteous. Uh, I see the righteous. Uh, I will not destroy, uh, but I will bless them. 
But will you, will I respond? Or will we just simply leave this generation stand right here with no charge, no direction, and say, figure it out? Joshua, lead this people into the promise. Let's lead this generation. Let's lead the generation that's in the Sunday school rooms this morning to a place where they don't have a religious experience, but where they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they experience the power, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in such a manner that righteous indignation rises up when they see evil and say, we will serve the Lord. What will we do today? What will we do? This morning, If the Lord was to physically step down from the portals of glory and start walking through the United States of America, would he be able to see with his eyes you standing up for righteousness? This morning, I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me that's not standing. Today, it's still about one thing and one thing only. It's still about the harvest. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Is that you're ready to just lead us and worship for a few moments. If you would say this morning, Men and women alike, Pastor, I want to be the catalyst that helps save a nation. I want to do my part. I want to stand up and I want to be counted. Oh, it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to rearrange and reprioritize. But if you're one of those that says, you know what, I'm in. You can count on me. I don't want you to tell me that, but I want you to tell the Lord that this morning. Lord, you can count on me. Especially men of God. Ladies, I've not tried to leave you out this morning. That's not my intent at all. But I just, in recent days, I've just been, I've been drawn Man, there's a problem in our nation when you find that the intercessory prayer groups are all women and men are absent. There's a problem in a nation when you walk through the Sunday school departments of church after church after church and it's all women. No men present. 
There's a problem when every activity, nothing against the ladies at all, please don't misrepresent what I'm saying, but everything is headed by ladies of faith. This behavior and this trend has led us to this place of darkness much like they was in in 1904 in Wales. And I'm here to tell you if some of you men along with your wives if you would begin to lead them to the place lead your children to the place that God's designed for us to be listen there is going to be an absolute reversal in the days ahead but will you let him know by faith this morning that Lord you can count on me I'm going to ask you if that's you as they just began to lead in worship, I want you to come and I want to spend some time in prayer this morning. You can stand or kneel, however you feel. But I'd love to see the men of this house come and stand across front of this building and say, God, I'm, I'm going to join with you and I'm going to join together with my brothers. And you can count on us. Won't you come right now? Hello, everybody. We just want to come to you today and say thank you so much for taking some time to watch us. Um, we hope that this message was encouraging and a blessing to you. Um, feel free to private message us and follow us on all social media platforms that will be listed below. Thank you, guys, and have a great day.